You're listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation podcast network. Hosted by Blake Murphy 7 and Johnny Venerable. All about your Arizona Cardinals. Hello and welcome into the Revenge of the Birds podcast, bringing you a draft day special. Recording this is the night of, uh, should get this posted at least if you're in the Arizona time zone, uh, probably just before midnight at the latest, but you'll be able to hear this. We're finished with round one and we're here to talk Arizona Cardinals. We'll get into the pick of Zayvon Collins, linebacker at 16. Uh, talk a bit about some of the scenarios, how the draft unfolded, uh, what was a bit different from what we expected, and then get into uh, some of the options for the Cardinals on day two. My name is Blake Murphy on Twitter, at BlakeMurphy7, and I'm joined as always by the venerable John Venerable. And John, when this pick went down, I think there was the only word I could think of for Arizona Cardinals fans was pain because so many Cardinals fans seem to have such an adverse reaction to this pick, which we talked about on our podcast was one that we could almost say was anticipated and kind of were one of some of the first people, at least who were on talking about the fact that Zayvon Collins was going to probably be the guy for the Cardinals at 16. Sure enough, it happened. Yeah, we had Tony Pauline. Welcome everybody jumping on the podcast here late at Thursday night. Appreciate you joining us. We had Tony Pauline on the show two weeks ago and maybe two and a half weeks ago. And I feel like he was the first on a a national platform. Remember we had him on our show even before his article came out about the Cardinals having interest. And he said point blank, they like Xavier Collins enough to take him at 16. Um, And we certainly didn't dismiss that. But one thing that has changed is he was adamant that they like Xavier Collins to play outside as an edge rusher, you would think as a heir apparent to Marcus Golden or, or Chandler Jones. But as Steve Kime mentions, he is going to play him at Mike linebacker. And basically it was not a good night for, for Jordan Hicks. I thought it was going to be a disappointing night for somebody like Devon Kennard, and it still might be, but Jordan Hicks is the man uh, to watch there. But before we get into all that, Blake, and just specifically about the Collins pick at 16, you know, if you were following John Gambadaro during the first 15 picks, he did a nice job outlining kind of their options. And we knew the major players. We knew if a certain, if a horn, if a waddle or if a Smith fell, they were going to be the apple of the Cardinals. eye. the, the Cardinals board, this is the first time in really in recent memory. I mean, it was picked clean. It was picked clean, Blake, five spots before they picked. And I think what ended up hurting them, was the fact that Mac Jones and Justin Fields went outside the top 10. They still went in front of them, but they went outside the top 10. Teams clearly valued both corners, both second-tier wide receivers and Waddle and Smith very high, high enough to take both of them in the top 10. I mean, that, that was a dream that the Cardinals fan base had quickly put to bed, especially when you saw Philadelphia jump up and get Devontae Smith. So it was one of those scenarios where it was like, okay, well, we're back to reality now. We know the, the, the big four are gone. What are our options? And I think that if you would have asked me coming into tonight, and I'm sure fans did, either on live stream or on Twitter, about what the Cardinals' options are going to be, I, I would say it's going to be Xavier Collins either at 16 or in a trade down with, you know, three or four other guys, a Najee, a Travis Etienne, a Bateman. You know, he, he was going to be in that group. But clearly, Blake, they valued him as high as 
some of the other prospects that I just named, if not higher. And, I mean, Kime mentioned in his press conference they had options to trade down. I don't believe that, or certainly I don't believe that they had a real tangible offer on the table that would have made a difference in terms of securing, let's say, a day two pick tomorrow, a third-round pick. Uh, I, I I just don't believe it. I, I think that the only scenario in which you take Zavian Collins at 16, who, you know, by all accounts probably would have been gone when you picked again next time. He was a top 20 prospect for a reason, but the Cardinals didn't have a trade down partner. Um, so they take him at pick 16. They make the announcement at the press conference. He's playing inside next to Isaiah Simmons next year. And Blake, for the third time since 2017, the Cardinals have taken a first-round linebacker. For the fourth time since 2014, the Cardinals have taken four inside linebackers. And then since Steve Kime's tenure in 2013 as the Cardinal general manager, this is his fifth, either first or second round. That year he took Kevin Minter, off-ball linebacker. Now say what you want about the kid. I'm not putting Kime's prior draft decisions on him. He's 6'5", 260 incredibly smart, tangibles off the charts, big-time playmaker. I don't think anybody questions the value. Again, this bears repeating for fans that are upset about the pick. This was a draft that outside of the major players who clearly it was identified in this draft, there were really no reaches in the first 14, 13 picks. We, those were all telegraph picks. The rest of the first round is a complete mismatch gray area. Guys fell, but not to a great extent. Anybody could have been interchangeable. And the Cardinals in a pandemic year, it was just not an ideal year, Blake, to have the 16th pick. It's not like last year when a CeeDee Lamb, a Jerry Judy fell, or when Derwin James fell a couple years ago. This was a year in which the pandemic, I believe, and the lack of quality first-round options hurt the Cardinals. Yeah, John, what we talked about was how the Cardinals were likely to get a top 10 player on their board that fell all the way down to pick 16, just due to the fact that there were probably going to be five quarterbacks who went before they picked, and we did see five quarterbacks who went. Obviously, the San Francisco 49ers, they went with the guy that we were probably guessing would be the case in Trey Lance. Justin Fields goes with a trade-up from the Bears, and you also got to see Mac Jones go to the New England Patriots one pick before Arizona. That was probably the place where I was almost saying that, you know, I was telling people right there, like, okay, if New England goes Mac Jones here, they were always going to go Mac Jones. Otherwise, Zayvon Collins is almost that Belichick-type player. I even said I would almost rather trade for Jimmy Garoppolo, have him and Zayvon Collins, versus just going and spending a first on Mac. Now, we'll see how that works as far as with this Belichick system. He's clearly trying to find a guy who's pro-ready and going for it. But it was the fact that when the Cardinals were on the clock, you were saying, all right, you're either taking Zayvon Collins or Najee Harris if you're trading down. And the fact the Cardinals made that pick, like they made a pick within the first minute or two, John, it seemed very much like the Cardinals had gone and loved this prospect. And that's where a lot of Cardinals fans, I think, were, you know, we talked a lot of people wanted the Cardinals to trade up for the likes of Smith. Waddle was, I think, a pipe dream once people realized he was going to go very early, probably, you know, to Miami at six or maybe after a trade back. It was around that Dallas Cowboys, the one scenario that I said, hey, if Arizona wants to give up, you know, a round two pick, they could jump up, you know, get to pick 10 with Dallas. And we saw that happen with Philly, making a trade in division. 
Giants then end up trading back a first for Dave Gettleman. That was kind of the one window, but it seems like the Cardinals were not wanting to give up picks in 2022. Uh, it did not seem like they were valuing, I should say, a wide receiver worth those types of picks, which is interesting. And in that regard, you're kind of entering this question now for a lot of Cardinals fans. All right, you're looking at the defense. How important is this pick to put it, and I think the answer to that, at least, it's a pro and a con. The pro is you're talking about moving on from probably the weakest point of the Cardinals' defense some of the last few years, which has been their Mike Linebacker in Jordan Hicks. Tackle Machine, his first year, was just destroyed in coverage in 2019. And not much change in 2020, except that he missed a lot more tackles. And if you're basically just supposed to be a tackle machine and a rookie in Isaiah Simmons is constantly showing you up in the tackle game, it was clear that he was probably going to be a liability on the field this year. Now, that said, you need to spend a 15th over, or I should say 16th overall pick on a Mike linebacker. A lot of Analysts don't value off-ball linebackers nearly as much. And I think that one of the questions you're going to have is always at the opportunity cost. Is the plus that you get from having two freak athletes, an inside linebacker, in a division in the NFC West that's going to you know, be blitzing the quarterback a lot with this defense, it's going to be facing you know, the Kyle Shanahan and the Sean McVay run schemes, is having these two types of players bigger and stronger and better than adding a weapon for Kyler Murray or a cornerback? I think that you could probably argue for or against, John. What are some of your thoughts about what will be the role since a lot of people thought that <laughs> you're going to be looking at this guy as an edge play out of a small school in Tulsa? And again, the thing I'll say about him, I've got some takes I can give after, but I just wanted you to talk a bit about some of that fit because that was the question we had asked. And I will say I feel a bit more comfortable now that Steve Kime went up and said that he is going to be our Mike linebacker. No beating around the bush whatsoever. Having a set position for him makes me feel a bit more at ease about the pick than I will say I did, you know, maybe 24 hours ago. Yeah, I mean, at least he has a clear identified role. I would say that I think Steve is trying to reinvent what we saw in San Francisco maybe a half decade plus ago with Patrick Willis and the Navarro Bowman. I, I really do. I think that the modern version of that just happens to be two, six, three, six, four freaks of nature playing inside. I mean, they're both at least six, four um, Simmons is leaner and probably has a better ability to rush the passer from the inside. Xavier has the ability. If you want to use him as a versatile chess piece on the edge, and they called him a chess piece again tonight, even though that's they they, He's being labeled as a Mike linebacker. He called himself a chess piece that was consistently used as a term for Isaiah Simmons last year. So, again, if Vance Joseph can maximize it, I think that's probably the biggest thing is why fans are frustrated with this pick is we just saw the experiment last year with Isaiah Simmons be crippling to his development. Um, and, you know, I love that Michael Bidwell and now Kime, they're, they're, you know, anointing Simmons as just this great player. And it's like your defensive coordinator didn't play him last year. He was on the bench for a large portion of the season. Jordan Hicks and Devondra Campbell were two, and I emphasize this, two of the worst inside linebackers in all football via pro football focus. Jordan Hicks's legs looked done last year. He graded out in the, in the 50s. Um, but again, just how adamant Vance was about Jordan calling the defense last year, I'm still skeptical that you're going to be able to bring this young kid along enough early that he's going to have meaningful snaps because again, what Kingsbury and Kime said specifically that, he, you know, you don't take the 16th overall pick to sit. We just sat the eighth overall pick last year. 
and Jordan Hicks didn't come off the field last year. He called the defense. Well, if that's Davian Collins' position, in my opinion, Jordan Hicks needs to be off the team. You've got Tanner Vallejo. It's the same position. If you want to have Xavier Collins lean on Tanner Vallejo from a schematic standpoint to learn the defense and how to call it, great. But it, I, as long as Jordan Hicks is on this defense, I, w- I won't feel comfortable. And this may be an exaggeration, just a quick reaction on, on draft night. I'm not going to feel comfortable with Xavier Collins getting legitimate snaps on defense next year. But as for Blake, you mentioned positional value. Listen, I, you know, I think that this year – you are able to give them a little bit of a pass. It's not like they passed on a premier talent to take another inside linebacker. I just, who, Xavier Collins was a projected top 20, top 15 pick to a lot of teams. So the fit in terms of where he was supposed to be drafted fit the narrative. It's not like Oakland, or excuse me, the, the Raiders who took the tackle from Bama right after. That was a reach, right? For the most part, you know, we did not see – I don't think I remember too many reaches at all in this draft. And I think that for once, it, it, I would be shocked if it wasn't one of the more accurate mocked first rounds in recent memory. And, again, goes back to my original point that it's a pandemic-stricken draft this year. And we knew who the elite players were. And, unfortunately for the Cardinals, they just weren't the benefactor of, for whatever reason, teams – you know, overdrafting like they typically do in normal non-pandemic years. I just think there were a lot of different, you know, differentiating factors with regard to that. But with that said, Blake, I, I echo your sentiments that, you know, I can appreciate Kime coming out and saying this is his position next to Isaiah Simmons. If Kime's going down with the ship, it's like, okay, these are the two players that are going to play inside, and it's clear Chandler Jones and Marcus Golden are the starting outside linebackers. So you've got that core unit, and for a team, Blake, that was embarrassed in the final two games of the season, specifically in that Week 17 loss at home to San Francisco, uh, Raheem Moster, or excuse me, Jeff Wilson, went for about 185 when the Cardinals had a postseason spot on the line. And so what they've gone and done is they've added a, 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 a supremely talented presence on the inside to go next to Isaiah Simmons and Xavier Collins. They've added up the middle, J.J. Watt. And then on the flip side, they've added Rodney Hudson. So they have really solidified the middle of the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. Do they have all their holes filled? No. But at the end of the day, Blake, what you can't argue is this individual's upside is leaps and bounds better than Jordan Hicks. And in the long run, that's good for the Cardinals. But as we sit here, on Thursday night, unfortunately, they were not able to secure him in a trade down. So they still, as of now, don't have a third, don't have a fourth, still need a corner, still need a wide out, still need a tight end. There are still need a running back. Potentially there are holes to be filled. And I think that again, a lot of fans would be able to stomach this if they had an extra third in their pocket for tomorrow. But now you're looking at pick 49, and it's very much – and there are great players left available, first-round caliber players left available. And it's – you know, you're going to have to roll the dice on somebody, or if you trade back, then you really get into a muddled situation, especially if you go maybe outside pick 60 where things really start to get gray in this pandemic draft. So time and company, they have a lot of work to do tomorrow. I still would like to see them add – an offensive skill player for Kyler Murray. I think the Cardinals offense in terms of their weaponry needs an upgrade. But again, everybody in my Twitter mentions is, is mocking a corner. 
let me just say that they could go out and sign a veteran free agent corner and their secondary would be leaps and bounds better than it was last year at that position. They need a playmaker for Kyler Murray on offense, and they didn't address it in the first round. I think that's where they go come tomorrow, Blake. Yeah, let's talk, let's talk a bit about Collins before we get into day two just to wrap up this, the pick. Obviously, I'll have more that will be written on him on Revenge of the Birds. The best way I can think to describe him as far as when you're talking about height, weight, and speed is imagine Derrick Henry playing linebacker. That's probably the best way to cop, even though, you know, Henry's a bit more of an explosive athlete. Collins is incredibly smooth at 6'4". You're talking about a guy who's weighing 260, 465, and was a instinctual playmaker, especially when it came to coverage. Uh, he was a guy who, when you watch the tape, he would pop. Uh, he had, I believe it was a... Uh, I think it was, yeah, he had two pick sixes on the year. One of them was a return for 96 yards. So you're talking about with four, six, five speed. This is a guy who is as fast as a lot of NFL running backs at 260 pounds and is instinctual, which is one of the cases, at least when we talked about a lot of it on the, uh, the last podcast was, you know, the fear of, of this other Hassan Reddick putting him out of place. A lot of that was because Hassan Reddick was a player who, when you watch the film, he had never played an inside linebacker before. He'd always been kind of an edge rusher or worse was back at safety. He just did not have the instincts when it came to coverage. And this is not an issue that we're going to see with Collins. Now, that said, he is something that, as far as when I talk about with leadership, really humble kid, he, he was humble enough to the point where going to a small school in Tulsa, his mom, I believe, emptied her 401k to basically take him on school-to-school tours just to try to you know, get him a scholarship. He ends up going in and becomes a stud who was essentially a playmaker on defense. So when you've got those two defensive playmakers, the question then is, all right, well, why didn't he go earlier? And I think some of it, like they said, is less explosion there. Some teams viewed him as an edge, some inside. He also probably needs to be able to do a little bit better in the run game as far as whether it's the fits or just the take on tenure, which will be interesting because that was some of the same questions people had last year about Isaiah Simmons himself. So if that means the Cardinals can play a bit more zone coverage, have that pass rush up front with J.J. Watt, or now you've got another guy who, in addition to Simmons and Buddha, can blitz off the edge. I think that's a lot of positive. Now let's, let's talk about the negative because what I said, John, when we were on the podcast was – when you watch the film and see him pop, you love the player. Like, he's the guy that you want to have on your team. All of the stuff grades out well. I think at least that his total upside, at least, is at least as good as Micah Parsons, if not better, especially considering they play different positions. The flaw in the question is, this is the fifth time, I believe, at least, that the, uh, I think at least the Cardinals, they've spent three first-round picks on linebackers just in the last five years alone. And they, in the Steve Kimes' history, I believe they spent at least five picks on off-ball linebackers. So this was still a problem, even though you took one last year. And like you said, John, there's holes at least you're saying, hey, like, who's going to be the corner? Who is going to be, uh, you know, the team's tight end, at least? Is it going to be Max Williams catching passes next year? There's uh, even the question of should the Cardinals have taken a starting running back in Najee Harris that will be able to start for you right away versus the possibility of, you know, watching Zayvon Collins sit on the sideline for, you know, 14 games after the season. And especially a year that the Cardinals may need to make the playoffs to actually make some noise in the division to keep up with the additions of Matthew Stafford and now the Niners' new quarterback, Trey Lance. Why is it that Steve Kime seems to keep going back to this well? 
seemingly kind of trying to make this work. And is this a spot at least that should be viewed as a negative on Steve Kime? Or are we allowed to say that he may be trying to make an amends for past mistakes? It's just at the expense of maybe a few more needed positions. I think at least for a lot of Cardinals fans, it was insanely frustrating. I saw some fire time and a lot of people who were super upset because if you looked at this board and said, hey, like Cardinals need a cornerback and a wide receiver and they walk off day one with a small school linebacker. Like a lot of people would have been like, oh yeah, that's the meme right there. Small school linebacker, Steve Kime is running toward that pick at full speed. And I think that a lot of fans are frustrated because if you're going to avoid some of the picks in the offense, even if Collins turns out to be a great player, there's a lot of questions still to be answered about Kyler and Cliff. And if they go corner tomorrow, gosh, John, will we get a good enough chance to judge Kyler this season? Like, as you mentioned, with the corpse of A.J. Green potentially hauling in passes on opposite to Andre Hopkins. Yeah, I, it's, you have to kind of separate the Cardinals situation from Xavier Collins, the player. And I think there's a good write-up that reflects that, I think, on SI.com, saying that Collins is one of the most underrated players in the draft. He compares favorably to players like Leighton Van Der Esch or Trumaine Edwards. I think he's got some Carlos Dansby in him. Dansby was 6'4 and was a fantastic coverage inside linebacker. He's a playmaker who can get all over the field. But then SI goes on to say, you know, they, they gave the Cardinals pick a C minus, and the grade says more about the decision to take a linebacker than Collins actually going this high. The Cardinals already took a linebacker last season who looks, quote, out of position. Blake, I know you've mentioned the same thing. The Cardinals predominantly run a 3-4 scheme. Where does Collins play? Well, we know he's going to play Mike. Just there isn't much confidence uh, in Arizona after they mismanaged Simmons' development last year. And I think that goes back to our original point, Blake, is just the fact that Jordan Hicks is on this team. I'm pretty sure he already took a pay cut, too. So it's like, what are you what are you doing? You're not going to be able to move him. At least I don't think you are. You've got Devon Kennard making $70 million. I know he plays outside. You just you've got to let these guys go. But then also, like if you're a team with expectations to make the postseason, I mean, are you going to let a rookie call your defense if you're Vance Joseph? I just goodness gracious, it's just bewildering to me. Um, but then again, like who are you taking at pick 16 if it's not Collins? I, I've got half the fan base in my mentions saying you can't take a running back that high. None of the receivers at that point were probably worth that pick. Maybe one of the second tier tackles, you know, the ABT had already gone, uh, you know, Vera Tucker, Slayton had already gone, Micah Parsons had already gone. I mean, there was a significant drop off. You, you talk about, you know, both of the Miami defensive ends. I thought both of them were overdrafted. I didn't think any of the corners were worthy of that spot. They all went into the twenties after the fact. So I, I don't, I think the player matches the pick in terms of value. And if it was any other team that took him, a lot of people would say that makes sense. But again, it's just the Cardinals' reputation with the position and Kimes' infatuation playing players, not necessarily in this case out of position, because Xavier Collins can play Mike. He's played Mike before. He'll be comfortable there. But just Kimes' infatuation for flooding inside linebackers over and over in the first round it's just it's bewilderingly at this point and on top of it 
the fact that I, I do think that they're going to struggle offensively next year because their intermediate passing game, which was a need to upgrade, getting more playmakers, you've added an, an, an aging A.J. Green that looked nearly done last year, and I think anything you get from him is a bonus. He's on a one-year cheap deal, and you haven't been able to add any significant speed on the edge. I mean, just like you let Miami get Will Fuller, then Miami also gets Jalen Waddell. You, you add James Conner, which is fine. Like, I think they'll be fine rushing the football next year. I'm not so worried. I would have loved Najee Harris or Travis Etienne. But I think they're going to be more than fine at those positions, especially because it's running back. It's so interchangeable. Maybe Eno Benjamin gives you something. Maybe they take it back tomorrow. I just think the where is the middle of the field production coming from? Because last year, you know who did your most work over the middle? Dan Arnold. He's gone now. You have no capable receiving tight end. You have no intermediate passing receiving threat. I think they hope that Christian Kirk can finally take off in the slot. That remains to be seen. And then again, A.J. Green looked completely done and lost last year. They're obviously not banking on that to reoccur in Arizona. But I just think that, again, Blake, it's, you know, it's damned if you do, damned if you don't, because they've wasted so many first-round picks on inside linebackers and the jury's still out on Simmons. You've got another project here with Collins. But again, the same thing can be said as we enter tomorrow. How many recent second round picks have gone toward receivers? Well, Isabella and Kirk were both second rounders. And then you traded a second for Hopkins. So it's like, could they run it back with that position tomorrow? Could they ignore corner entirely? It, it just, there are a lot of questions right now that I think would have been eased by a trade down to accumulate more assets to feel better about multiple lottery tickets tomorrow. But the fact that everything rides on pick 49 tomorrow at about three or four position units, it's just not a good place to be if you're Steve. No, it's not. And that's where, like you said, this is, for a lot of people, they feel like this is a pivotal year for Cliff Kingsbury. It's entering year three of the Kyler Murray deal. Now, again, Steve and Michael Bidwell may feel completely different. Like They may be totally comfortable with Steve going out and being able to have like, you know, like a a 10 win season that, you know, say it doesn't make the playoffs due to the NFC West getting a bit tougher, a tougher schedule. They may be fully comfortable with where they are. But if you're Cliff Kingsbury and a lot of people were saying that you came into the league on the hot seat, that you had issues with your scheme, you struggled, all that you really added to this team was Rodney Hudson. And then you're hoping that Christian Kirk can be that over the middle guy. AJ Green can help you outside um, with his routes, it's just a fact of the matter is, is that he just was not separating here than trusting, you know, a 32 year old and a wide receiver who's not going to be back with the team. I would imagine next year, I, I can't see the Cardinals paying or resigning Kirk and you're trusting your single speed guys, Andy Isabella, the Cardinals do not have enough speed on offense outside of the likes of Kyler Murray. And if Isabella ends up, you know, trending the same direction, I'll have to essentially be able to hit a brand new mark for him that we've like, you know, it's a crazy explosion for impact. So that's one of the questions that I'll have, John, because if the Cardinals don't perform with all of this next year on offense, if we see similar struggles of Kyler Murray has the same type of season, not a bad season, but doesn't really take that step forward. And Cliff starts mismanaging a few decisions. It would not shock me whatsoever if the Cardinals look at their situation and they go, gosh, like Steve put this team together. He got players who were good, but he just did not manage to fill needs. Even with the rest of the pandemic, there's a spot at least where time has hitched his bus 
to Cliff Kingsbury. And it remains to be seen if Cliff ends up, you know, dropping down and having where the Cardinals underperform. That's one of those interesting things that people will always look back at this spot and this pick right here going, were you really going to take the best player available? And at the end of the season, you know, we're all talking about, you know, go ahead, play, play your linebacker, play your first round pick, play Zayvon Collins, just like we were doing last year with um, the likes of Isaiah Simmons. So uh, let's get into some of the top talent remaining that heads into uh, round number two. The biggest surprise, I think, for most people is that Jeremiah Owosu-Kromoa, believer, I think that's how it's pronounced. Uh, yeah, Koromoa, that's it. He fell, he's a top 15 ranked player on a lot of people's boards. He falls all the way into round two, a bit of a light tweener at 220 pounds. It was a little bit probably of Dan Buchanan in his game. Uh, you got a couple of other guys that I think who are interesting. Some of these may be health or medical, but John, who are some of the guys that you felt stood out that fell to round two? There's one name in particular that Seems like it would fill a direct need and would be able to be maybe one of the best players available at 49. And that looks like to me, Asante Samuel Jr., a corner we know the Cardinals have met with multiple times that they like a lot. Yeah, I just, Blake, I agree. I don't think he's going to be there with 16 picks left. I think I was just talking with somebody about this uh, earlier this evening. I, I think you'd have to pull a Buda Baker where you'd have to have the assets to go up and get him. And that's where not having additional picks tomorrow hurts. I suppose they could always deal future picks, but Samuel to me feels like one of the first players taken tomorrow. Um, but I agree with you. If he's somehow there, you got to jump on the opportunity and goodness, just an all defensive draft uh, after what we saw at the tail end of last season, when the defense was humming, the offense wasn't, it's certainly one way to go. A couple of the names I like just off the top of the surface, Elijah Moore, if they were able to secure him, Terrence Marshall, uh, junior, wide receiver from LSU, big physical presence. It's more of a straight line runner, but can do a lot of things. Well, uh, it's, it's crazy to me that Trayvon Morrig didn't go in the first round. Actually, no safeties went in the first round. That had to be the first time that's happened in forever. Christian Barmore is available, you know, elite defensive tackle and probably one of the worst defensive tackle classes in recent memory. Kevin Jenkins, I know, Blake, you're a big fan of him. He could come in and play right tackle for the Cardinals. Undersized wide receiver Rondell Moore from the University of Purdue. Uh, good little shifty player. Uh, tomorrow we're going to see just more of a run on edge players. I think Ronnie Perkins goes early. Uh, and then Dime Brown um, is a wide receiver from the University of North Carolina. He'll be available tomorrow if the Cardinals want to pull the trigger at 49. I don't think he'll go before them. Um, but, you know, Javante Williams, best available running back, left available. And then right now, if you ask to me, you know, John, what would be your preferred position to, to address in terms of what player I would go with the tight end from Penn State? Fremos, Pat Fremos, who would fill two needs, would allow you to help develop that intermediate passing game with Kyler, would allow you to keep some physicality in the run game, especially if you eventually moved on from Max Williams capable receiving threat in the red zone where they need to be more physical and it checks two boxes for you. So again, I know it's not the sexiest position, but I do think it's somebody that could come in and immediately have an impact. Um, I, I just, I know I'm getting crushed on social media because everybody and their mom thinks they need to add a corner and I get that. But I also think that, you know, if the players aren't there, especially if there's a run on corners to begin the second round tomorrow, Blake, which I think there could be, 
then you can't force it. And I just think you go best available pass catcher to help your young quarterback in a critical year. Yeah, Fryer Muth, he's had a couple of times there's been some injuries that's happened, but he was an incredibly productive guy. Uh, he came in at least and has about, I want to say like, is it about 16 total touchdowns over 1,000 yards in his career receiving. Uh, was one of those guys who was <clears throat> an All-American freshman year, um, was a team captain. Uh, the nickname was Baby Gronk for the most part. He also played basketball. So when you're talking about what teams look for and like what could be these you know, maybe not star tight ends, but at least stud tight ends. Usually you always answer these three questions. All right, like, did he play basketball before? Is he a guy who, you know, is a willing blocker? And the last one, at least for the most part, is going to be, is he a guy who at least is consistent? He never lived up to the baby Gronk moniker. But if you look at a Hayden Hurst, a guy who kind of comes in, catches about, you know, 500 yards or so, catches maybe, you know, 43 balls a year is able to be a seven-touchdown sort of guy. That's, I think, all that you really need from a typical NFL offense. Uh, that would be one of the picks that I would lean toward as well, partially because the Cardinals, when you looked at the draft capital that has been assigned them in the tight end position and look at the value throughout the rest of the NFL, like it's not even close. The Cardinals are 32 of 32, not just in only having two tight ends on the roster and one of those in Max Williams proved to be unreliable over the years uh, for other teams and for Arizona last year. They just have always never had like a stud tight end, which is part of why Kyle Pitts hype, you know, took a lot of Cardinals fans at least, and probably a lot of other NFL fans by storm. Uh, let me talk about a few of the other guys. Like you mentioned, Elijah Moore, a guy who's got legit four, three speed. Ron Moore is a bit different. He was never used as a downfield threat. He's only five, seven. Some people talk, call him and say that he's kind of like a plays like a running back. Looks like a smaller Steve Smith. He'd be smaller than Kyler Murray running around out there. That's one of the questions, I think, with his injury history. That's obviously one of the reasons why, despite that speed, he's fell. Uh, I think when you're talking about receiving threats, at least, there's not too many guys there after um, Elijah Moore or the LSU guy, Terrace Marshall Jr., who had a knee issue, apparently, that a lot of teams have had some concern on in a post-pandemic year. There's been issues. I do think at least the one guy that seems to make a little bit of sense at least would be if you can trade back maybe to the end of the second round pickup, you know, either like a high enough fourth or maybe a late third. Uh, having a 6'4", 215 guy in Nico Collins who never produced much at Michigan but seemed to be one of those guys who maybe was a victim of a bad quarterback situation I like. You also mentioned, at least, with the pass rushers and Tevin Jenkins. So uh, as far as with guys like Aziz Al-Jawari uh, and with other players, at least, I think there could be a run on some of those guys. But what's really interesting to me is that because of the injury issues and the fact you just drafted a linebacker, I could see it being more likely that the Cardinals would target either a corner or look at one of these offensive linemen who felt maybe it's a little bit weird to say the Cardinals could at least maybe boost their offense by not necessarily taking a receiver, but you could be looking at one of those positions because I, I just don't see a way that Javante Williams, given the fact that there's plenty of running back needy teams ahead of the Cardinals, I just don't see him being able to fall to that pick. Uh, I think that you're looking at a team uh, – a team that kind of is going to be able to look at their board, see where the talent is, try to trade back a bit, and might lean into the strength of the draft. And in round two, I think there's a couple of receivers that are liked, but for the most part, John, it feels like this is a tackle-heavy and corner-heavy second round, and it would not surprise me if that's where the Cardinals lean into, where they either add someone at least who can kind of take over for Justin Pugh or 
uh, their right tackle in a year, uh, perhaps, you know, if Josh Jones slides in or takes a look at least at adding that cornerback. And uh, if I have to be perfectly frank and honest, I think I don't have an issue with either approach for the most part. But again, when we talk about each of these things, if you are going to lean into the strength of the draft, trade back, try to pick up, you know, a fourth round pick, maybe that's something that you try to use on a running back. You're going to then be looking at entering into this 2022 offseason. Everyone's going to be asking, you know, all right, which do you take? You know, is it cornerback one or is it wide receiver two? The Cardinals are kind of in a weird spot because of all of these players that have deals that are up. And you really don't feel like a lot of these guys are going to be sticking with the team long term. And that may be a bit concerning considering then you're it's like, all right, Kyler Murray signed his big deal. Cardinals are needing to get a lot of talent in the room and it's all going to have to come through the draft. That is probably not what every Cardinals fan is looking for, John. Yeah, I, I just think as far as tomorrow goes, I don't know how you can go offensive line tomorrow in the second round. Humphreys is tied up long-term. Yes, Pugh is very much year-to-year with his reduced contract. You signed Brian Winters to compete at right guard, and then you've also got Justin Murray, who was extended, Josh Jones, who we haven't seen play yet, who they supposedly are high on, and then Kelvin Beecham got a two-year contract extension, and you extended Rodney Hudson. I just think it would be a wasted pick, not necessarily given that the kid couldn't play that you would draft, but Sean Kugler is notorious for not wanting to play young kids on the offensive line. There just, there isn't a glaring need for the position. I mean, quite frankly, Blake, outside of just a rash of injuries, that pick wouldn't play next year. And that's unacceptable. And I know that's short-term thinking, but that's how this franchise has to think right now. If they're trying to make the postseason next year. So I don't think it's going to be an offensive lineman. I think it could be one of three positions. I think it could be now that we have the inside linebacker. I mean, it would not shock me in the least, Blake, if they took an edge rusher. It's, again, fans would revolt, especially because they thought Collins was an edge rusher. I don't think that's completely off limits because I think there are plenty of quality edge rushing options on the board. Of course, they can take a corner. And then I think the last position to watch is, is wide receiver. I think that, again, they, the fact that they were in on Waddle and Smith shows you they're not happy with their core as is, especially when you've got Green and Kirk who could leave the team after this year. Uh, Isabella has not panned out. It really is just Hopkins alone on an island. They need to get him a running mate. Um, I didn't think they did a well enough job in free agency adding skill players to help Kyler Murray. Again, Javante in a perfect world would be a great pick if this team had multiple day two picks, but to walk away just with a back that probably won't start next year and is going to be your goal line back, I don't think that has the same kind of impact as even like a Najee Harris, who's such a skilled receiver out of the backfield. That's not Williams' game. So again, I just think that tomorrow has to be about instant impact. And again, everybody may not like the Xavier Collins pick, but I did especially like what I heard from Steve Kime and Cliff Kingsbury when they were adamant he's going to play early. That's a good thing to hear from Cliff. Now, again, talk is cheap. Actions are better than words. But the fact that they just kept repeating Collins and Simmons, Collins and Simmons, that's the pairing. Great. Now, with pick 49, whether it's, you know, Kelvin Joseph or Sante Samuel Jr. or Fryerman or whomever it is, that individual needs to have a definitive role next year where they're playing often. Kime historically has done well in the second round. 
Not every year, especially early on with the likes of Troy Nicholas and Kevin Minter. But once upon a time, he found himself a premier pass rusher in Marcus Golden. He found Buda Baker. He can find quality picks on day two. You got David Johnson and John Brown and Tyron Matthew all in the third round. So I wouldn't be surprised if he traded down to try to secure a third. That would take a lot of maneuvering. But again, you're looking at if premium talent drops to 49, they're just going to stick there and let the chips fall where they may until late on day three. Yeah, John, you mentioned looking at three positions. That's a great point about offensive line. You don't want to have a pick that will sit. Uh, maybe some of that would and turns into a second Josh Jones situation. So if you want to look at the three spots that would have the most instant impact immediately starting in year one, it would obviously be running back would probably be one of the first ones. But I think that you could add cornerback and wide receiver to those, like we said. What's interesting is... Uh, with that tight end position, the only player that anyone really feels like is worth a second-round pick is Pat Fryermuth. He stands out a lot when you go through the list of starting tight ends in the NFL. You're just like, all right, you got your Mark Andrews, Dawson Knox. You've got Noah Fant. You've got Travis Kelsey, even Jack Doyle. You're talking about with Darren Waller, Mike Gesicki. Like, even with, like, the, I think I'm going to say Johnny Smith and Hunter Henry, there's been so much that teams have allocated to the tight end position. The Cardinals have not only just two tight ends, but the least. So I think he's a guy who sticks out the most as far as filling immediate needs. Suddenly he becomes kind of that um, maybe not quite as athletic role. Otherwise, I think you're right, John. Looking at the spots that would be there for an instant impact, we'll be talking about corner and receiver of being the two places. And I think at both positions, the Cardinals will want to add speed to be able to go on. Even with the corner right now, I could see it being a spot where they sign a corner to, you know, and then that said corner ends up sitting behind, you know, the likes of Jonathan Joseph or a short-term deal for Drake or Patrick uh, for a year, even not, not even assuming Robert Alford's health. So to me, John, the wide receiver and tight end, it seems like if the Cardinals are looking for early and instant impact, I think that between those two spots, or if there's a running back that they like, maybe you trade back a bit for one if Javante isn't there. I think those would be two spots I'd look at for the Cardinals. Well, that will uh, about wrap it up, at least for tonight. John, do you have any last uh, points or anything you'd like to be able to say about the Cardinals? It's been obviously a long, long wait for a lot of fans to get to this point in the draft. And I'm sure that there's been plenty of disappointment looking at, you know, some potential Heisman winners or likes of, uh, you know, some of these stud tight ends or cornerbacks that just were never really in the cards for Arizona. It's bound to lead to a bit of disappointment considering you know, the lack of a trade back and the position picked overall. Any other last thoughts as we sign off for tonight? Yeah, I think just try to keep an open mind if you're frustrated and just know that, you know, we, we have to see how he does on the field. Many camp uh, for rookies starts in two weeks. Going to be at that. Um, I, I think that they're going to know the expectation of the fan base based on, and you can even kind of hear it, with the media's questioning, peppering them about the fact that they semi-mishandled Isaiah Simmons' development last year. Are they going to remedy some of those mistakes this year with Collins? I believe that they will. I don't think they're ignorant enough not to address it. Um, so if we're, you know, if we're sitting here and it's week five and, and Collins leads all rookie inside linebackers and tackles and he and Simmons are having a heck of a year to start you know, 2021, you're not going to remember just the, the frustration you had on draft night. So uh, again, feel good about the fact that the pick wasn't a reach. Feel good about the fact that this kid, by all accounts, has a very high floor. And, and I would also say feel good about the fact that this defense 
has added enough significant pieces that this could be a top 10 unit next year. When you're talking about Malcolm Butler, who's an upgrade over Patrick Peterson, J.J. Watt, who, goodness, is better than the Cardinals have had up front since Calais Campbell. And now you add another first-round inside linebacker and replace what was perhaps the worst starting inside linebacker in football in Jordan Hicks. This is a unit that should go toe-for-toe with the Cardinal offense in terms of being in the upper echelon in the NFL. And they could add more to it tomorrow. So keep an open mind. Let's give this kid an opportunity. I'm looking forward to watching him this summer. Uh, And again, if he and and Simmons, if their vision pans out, the Cardinals could have their own Bowman and Willis in Arizona. Absolutely, John. So the pick was fair. The player is good. The position was a need. Is the plan up to snuff to be able to contend in the NFC West and make uh, the final P, the playoffs next year? We'll get to find out another piece of that story tomorrow with the second pick for the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, We'll be covering all that in Revenge of the Birds. I know I'll have a list up of some of my favorite players as well as some of the top talent available. And I'll be going through more of that as well. Uh, John, where can the listeners find you? And I think, if I'm not mistaken, we've finally been able to get you back onto some of the live streaming as far as there's some Q&A onto the Twitter.com after a lot of work. Yes, thank you for that, Blake. You can thank Blake for hooking it up with the stream yard. But, of course, you can find me at Twitter on Johnny Venerable. And then as well as with the ROTV podcast and then RevengeOfTheBirds.com. Uh, looking forward, Blake, to all the content tomorrow, especially with those day two mocks that I know we love. Absolutely. Thanks again for tuning in, everyone. Appreciate it. Go Cardinals. We'll catch you on the other side with day two of the 2021 NFL Draft.